you end up thriving off so much acknowledgement, so much affirmation that it just becomes habit to, to live into that. Okay, we're here today with Joe DeLoss. Joe DeLoss is a serial social entrepreneur focused on building transformational brands for transformational people. He has spent the last decade building profitable businesses, providing employment opportunities for men and women affected by incarceration, homelessness, or other complex symptoms of poverty. His most recent success, Hot Chicken Takeover, is a fast casual restaurant chain taking over the Midwest. The business has earned critical acclaim as a breakout brand in the segment and has created hundreds of meaningful work opportunities in the region. Joe's passion for sustainable change has also created value for these businesses. He's built and advised. Hot Chicken Takeover boasts retention rates three times its industry, creating continuity for the team and guests alike. The key? Joe designed HR processes that deeply invest in his team's development, something uncharacteristic of most entry-level work environments. From matched savings programs to professional development to financial planning and beyond, Joe believes investment in a person's personal stability yield professional success. Joe's dedication to fair chance hiring, social entrepreneurship, and vulnerable leadership has allowed him to impact the lives of thousands of people. As Joe continues to build, he is sharing his story with national audiences across the country, including the Today Show, Forbes, Harvard Business School, Politico, The Rachel Ray Show, and more. Joe has served as an adjunct instructor at the Fisher College of Business and the John Glenn School of Public Affairs and has maintained seats on several boards. Joe, it is great to have you. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, this is a little different format. Normally, we're walking around somewhere. So, yeah, uh, excited. Yeah, I I enjoy those walks and our conversations and you know it's it's fun for me to do this kind of stuff with people like you because we've had some really deep conversations about work and life and family and uh, that's really the inspiration for this this podcast is I love being in that kind of dialogue with people and really you know kind of getting in under the you know, surface and finding out what's going on with life. And so sharing, you know, life with people and uh, sharing this kind of shared human experience is really the purpose of the podcast. So you're like the perfect guest because we've done this before in other walks and ways. And so it's fun to get a chance to share it with the, uh, with the audience. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Brett. Yeah. So let's, um, let's start at the beginning. Talk to me about the early childhood life uh, of Joe and and kind of your family dynamics, you know, where you're from, anything that, you know, maybe you remember that feels relevant about your childhood. Yeah. Little Joe hailed from uh, Gahanna, Ohio, right here in central Ohio. Um, yeah, had a really had a really strong kind of family unit. And and so uh, grew up in the suburbs, two-parent home, 
Um, I had a, a significantly older sibling, not significantly older, but nine years older, which is a big gap when you're mm-hmm. a little one. Yeah. And so had kind of, in many ways, my sister, especially in that that early part of my life, was kind of a more maternal force for me at times than a, than a sibling. You know, full circle, she and I now are in more similar parts of life and our relationship dynamics really different. But yes, yeah, so I grew up in Gehenna, had a lot of extended family surrounding me, which was was lovely and had a lot of just really impactful adults in my life, both both family and non. And, uh, you know, I, I think for the most part, you know, my dad was, um, my mom for a lot of those early years was a homemaker and, and worked jobs that were compatible with, with my schedule uh, as a young elementary school kid. And so that, you know, I had, I just had a lot of support and access. Um, and, and similarly, my dad was, just before my life, my, my, my dad's career changed from really uh, a more blue collar field as a as an auto mechanic to ultimately really growing a, a huge and successful professional career selling automotive equipment mm-hmm. and and so my 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 sister and I had kind of different experiences in life because she was around for for some of that just harder dual income uh, life. Um, and so, yeah, so so fast forward, I had a dad that traveled a lot, but uh, made it home for every birthday and every sporting event he could and, and was a coach and, and super active. And I had a mom that was just really engaged in my development and support. You know, looking back now, it's a just tremendous privilege that I was set up that, that definitely came into play as I, as I grew up. Yeah. You know, and I hear that a lot on this show. It's, it's, Probably more common that we hear, you know, a story that has some trauma or divorce or, you know, any number of of difficult, you know, childhood experiences. But we do hear a fair amount of stories like yours where there's a lot of support and and I love hearing it. You know, I think this is kind of the aim and we should highlight when, you know, parents are even doing it really well. Um, it sounds like, you know, that was the case for you that, you know, there was a lot of love and support that allowed you to, you know, have a certain kind of experience that sounds, you know, pretty good. Is that, is that fair? True? Yeah, I, th- I think so. And, you know, it's not to say that those experiences weren't without adversity or a traumatic experience of losing loved ones. I think, you know, when you have when you have that kind of resource network and uh, family unit that I had access to, both both in my my core family as well as my extended family, you know, as you were encountering those experiences that that otherwise could leave really detrimental impressions, they were surrounded with this wealth of family, and so you know, I I, I think. My my childhood started getting a little weird around the second grade. I had uh, my mom, and so this would have been 1992, was diagnosed with breast cancer and had a had a, a really really difficult go uh, in her her first round of cancer, and thankfully thankfully survived that experience and and was very young when that happened. And so she was, you know, she was in her her mid thirties at that point, which just relative to most people that were experiencing that was was on the on the young end. And so what was interesting is the simultaneous to that experience, the the universe had kind of conspired to get 
uh, my dad a professional opportunity in Minneapolis. And, and so on the heels of my mom's initial treatment, we actually, we moved to Minneapolis and she had access to the Mayo Clinic at that point was doing like all the front end research in breast cancer and had a, had tremendous support there. Uh, but I also, I think going into, I, I finished third grade here locally and then uh, moved. Uh, my sister was entering her first year of college at that point. And so that, that actually kind of precipitated a journey where I was more separated from my extended family, but ultimately um, I lived in uh, Minneapolis, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, ultimately moved back to Ohio in the kind of uh, suburb outside of Cleveland, all, all before the seventh grade. And so I, I, we, we traveled a lot at that point and I found myself kind of in these situations constantly trying to kind of like reacclimate to friend environments and have since processed a lot of what that experience meant to me at that point. Mm-hmm. And what did it mean to you? Tell me a little bit about kind of, you know, what you've processed. I'm curious, even, yeah. you know, the, the experience of, you know, having your mother be that sick at a young age too, you know, tell me a little bit about kind of, I'm intrigued with this idea that, you know, yeah, there's some, there's some tough stuff going on here. Obviously you're a kid, you're worried about your mom, um, you're moving around. I mean, those aren't easy things. You know, we sometimes get focused on the capital T traumas, but I, I had a, a psychiatrist guest recently who talked about comparing those to uh, micro concussions, right? They, 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 they take their little dings on you and you have this you know, great support system around you to help you navigate through it. But your kid and those little things, yeah. you know, can add up. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what you've kind of, you know, processed about that time. Yeah, I think, you know, in regards to my mom's health crisis, I was, I was probably just kind of under, under the age range where I really, really internalized that experience and fear of losing my mom. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I think what I remember is, is my mom being in bed you know, for a huge amount of time, which is just such a different, a different setting for her compared to how active and engaged she was both in her own work life, but also in her our family unit. Oftentimes as my dad's traveling around, you know, my mom really functioning like a, a single mom in those, you know, moments to try to keep the wheels on for my sister and I. And so that experience was dramatically different, seeing her bedridden, and so I have a, a lot of memories of that, but I also have a lot of memories of all the people that were showing up to our front door with support. And so a, a huge, uh, my family at that point was really engaged in a Lutheran church and had this community of kind of other congregants and, and friends that really like got us through that experience. You know, my dad started traveling less, of course, to be home and, um, you know, the amount of hot meals, the amount of support, the amount of uh, shuttles and, and friends taking me where I needed to go uh, was, was so prominent that, that that kind of community spirit is, is probably more what I recall about that, that difficult experience of just the, the amount of people that were supporting us, family, friends alike, uh, and some strangers. And, and so, you know, I think I, I, think I, I generally have a really positive um, positive recollection of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my mom's health, you know, had continued to have, have some scares through my adolescence, which, which were probably more impactful because the, the weight, the, the gravity of those felt, felt different. 
but in in terms of the moves, you know, now kind of in my in my adult life, where I had to had to kind of rewire myself for a lot of really bad habits and behaviors, I, I can kind of track those back to this experience of you know I'm this kind of new kid. Uh, I'm a new kid. I'm anxious about making friends, fitting in, feeling insecure. I was like a uh, you know, most of my adolescence was it was pretty chubby kid, and just had had these experiences where every time I got to go to a new school, I got to kind of make up the stories and um, and the identity that I wanted to uh, to fit in, and they were happening in such quick s- succession that I was able to kind of like roll with this new identity of of the Joe I wanted to be to make friends and, and, and win kind of hearts and minds. Mm. And, you know, that, that was the foundation of a lot of friendships and relationships I had for a long time was just like the, the many deceits and the many white lies that mm-hmm. end up sticking with you. And, and so, you know, fast forward, you know, my adult life really operating as like a full-blown narcissist and uh, ego-driven and, you know, really even to my own, into my own experience, like struggling to kind of know what's true about my actual identity versus what is, um, you know, what I've just kind of made up for myself because it was the person I thought I should be, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I kind of saw that pattern forming. I saw that pattern happening, you know, now in hindsight, through all those experiences where, you know, over the course of 12 months or 24 months, I'm, I'm creating a whole new circle for myself and a whole new geography and a whole mm-hmm. new place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I want to um, talk a little bit more about kind of, you know, what, how that impacted you in your adult life and how you've kind of, um, you know, gotten awareness around it and made changes to, you know, be in what I'm hearing is like a more authentic version of you. But, but I, we'll, we'll get there. I want to kind of, you know, just yeah. drill down a little bit on like, what you mean by that? Because I think this is probably very common, right? You know, what, what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, you kind of had to like create some defense mechanism to maybe shield, you know, some insecurities as you're kind of showing up in new places and, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know, chubby and like, you know, wanting to like put on an identity, uh, kind of a, a front so that you would be well received or liked is that you know kind of what the experience was like yeah and i you know i don't know how how conscious that whole act was but yeah. you know i think it was a really natural instinct particularly yeah. as a young young person to just like i just want to i want to have friends and i want to be invited to yeah. the birthday parties and all those things and so you know how do you how do you best how do you best become liked in this setting? And and so for me, I think I started forming some habits around like, you know, pushing the story, pushing the experience to really manipulate my way into friendships with the with the best of intentions of just wanting to belong and wanting to be part of it. And you know, you you form that pattern for long enough and you get all those reps doing that. And then, you know, all of a sudden my second nature was really to you know, I want to be the extroverted, outgoing kid that people like and want to be around. And I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep kind of adapting my story to, to that end. 
Yeah. It, it, now, the reason I wanted to just kind of, you know, double click on that is because I think this is really common. And I think, you know, what's even more common is that it continues on into adult life, you know, and yeah. um, that there is this desire to be liked. There is this desire to be accepted to be validated, to be seen as good or successful or insert, you know, any number of things, but it's, 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 um, you know, kind of takes you, it can take you away from who you are. And I think you're right. It is a very natural thing. This is, you know, maybe a, a very unconscious thing that naturally happens. And I know in my own case, cause I can relate to that, you know, you end up getting a lot of validation that suggests that maybe this is a good you, right? And people like this you. And, you know, um, and the question is, is it really you, <laughs> you know, because yeah. um, you can fall into like a habitual pattern of, you know, convincing yourself this is working. Um, and maybe it is to some degree, but is it really, really you, you know, is, is where it gets kind of murky. Well, and when you blur that line, when you blur that line for so long, your your sense of connection to your own identity of what really is me or who really am I also becomes blurry and gray. And so, you know, particularly into adult life, I think especially for entrepreneurs and others, you know, there's so much romance painted around the identity that you be, can become and the grit and the adversity and all these things that you you start to believe it because you, you you have no connection to your own center and you know that that's really it for me through adolescence of continuing to strive for something outside of myself without a really strong sense of my own identity my own you know being it it makes it i think that's probably the the road a lot of adolescents go on and it's a survival strategy and kind of the only strategy that's encouraged at times and so yeah, I definitely went on that. And and to your point, all those habits, you know, all those habits you form as a prepubescent and pubescent kid that get you liked or get you affection, just, you know, nothing different. So you just continue them. You continue yeah. them into your job and your life and, and your relationships. Yeah. Uh, we're going to come back around to kind of how you've discovered that, you know, how you got conscious to it and, and what you did to shift. But I want to just kind of go back to this, you know, kind of adolescent stage, you know, tell me a little bit about kind of what does that look like? You know, what do you end up, what kinds of things are you into? What kind of student are you? You know, what, what are you, what's that version of you look like? Yeah. I, I mean, kind of academically, I always performed pretty well. I was, I, I, I performed pretty well. I never worked really hard. And so I was like a, always a solid kind of B plus A minus student, um, always slightly above average. Um, without a ton of effort. And, and a lot of that stuff came intuitively to me. And I, 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 like, I like school. I, I like those environments from athletically. You know, I, I never really fell into team sports. I, I played t-ball, football, basketball, all those things, and really just started finding kind of a pattern and some more independent pursuits. I re really loved to be outdoors. Started mountain biking in, uh, in middle school from moving from BMX bikes to mountain bikes and uh, really found a lot of, lot of excitement and appreciation for that sport, which is, st sticks with me now. 
But yeah, so I, I was engaged in a lot. What, what's interesting is I, I did start really forming this entrepreneurial streak really early in my adolescence um, and was just always interested in making money myself. Uh, and so, you know, from kind of my first adventure, we, uh, we lived in this subdivision in, in Minneapolis uh, in this community called Lakeville. And, and about only two thirds of the neighborhood was built. There were all these empty kind of lots everywhere. So there's always construction workers in the neighborhood. And I kind of led this initiative. I, we literally built like a, a, a store on a radio flyer wagon with a cooler, with shelves. And my friends and I would steal all of this like cold soda, uh, popsicles, candy, snacks from our houses. And we'd go around and like sell sell like cold pop and popsicles to construction workers working out like under the hot Minnesota sun. It's, it lasted a few weeks, lasted a few weeks until all of, all of our parents realized what we were doing. Um, it was super profitable. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Cost of goods was pretty low, huh? <laughs> yeah, really low. And, and so, you know, I had a ton of things like that. Even in middle school, I, I got into uh, magic tricks and mm-hmm. had a business partner at, uh, my friend Sean in in the seventh grade, and he and I built like a little magic partnership, and we we're doing birthday parties and stage shows. Like had animals awesome. that we we're doing it with. Yeah. So you know, uh, what was the what was the grand finale trick? <laughs> uh, we would often we would often make uh, birds appear or disappear. Uh, we also had a bunny um, that uh-huh. we'd make, but we had this big, we had this enormous. <laughs> Box. I forget what it was called. It it was like a locked giant treasure chest, mm-hmm. and um, we would switch between. You'd throw up a curtain in the air. When the curtain dropped, the person uh-huh. that was locked in the box would change. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, it was a. I mean, we were this was a small is, show. Yeah, it sounds like it. I, I'm I'm <laughs> thinking there's like a Joe Delos charity magic show at gravity that's happening in the future but i love it so and and how old are you when you're you're doing this yeah middle school yeah seventh grade and and do you big kids with little illusions or little kids with big illusions was the name of our of our act that's great i love it do you guys um do you do you do you remember kind of like what you were thinking by starting these you know early businesses were you thinking about money was it what was it that kind of has you, you know, kind of feeling connected to being an entrepreneur at a young age? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it was the freedom of earning income um, to to buy the things that we wanted, you know, and and we were, you know, especially I had this like relatively charmed suburban life, you know, and so it's not like I I didn't want for much. Uh, but had had parents that were always, you know, if I wanted a new bike, I was going to pay for half of it. If I wanted, you know, so there was this idea, this kind of like work ethic built in that you're going to have to take ownership of these things you say you want. And so a lot of it was for things like that. You know, I remember the first kind of nice BMX bike I bought, I rolled into the store, the bike shop with probably $90 in quarters and change and uh, had parents that were willing to sit me you know, sit there and watch me count and <laughs> count change on the counter of a bike shop and, and pay the rest. Um, and so that, I, I, I think it was always just that sense of ownership of if I want something, I can, I can 
I can earn it myself. And, and did that continue on yeah. as you kind of go through high school? Do you continue to have a number of different entrepreneurial efforts? Yeah, I couldn't help it. You know, I, um, I, I was starting to work. You know, I started to work as soon as I get a worker's permit. Um, and I worked at like a snack bar at a country club and when I was 15 and a half. And um, one, of, one of the jobs I carried for most of my high school experience was working as a server in, like in, in a, a, a mixed-aged retirement community from nursing to independent living. And I found this weird niche with most of the, the people I was serving in the restaurant um, that many of them had, had lost their license but still had their car. And um, so I started uh, a side business, uh, driving people around in their own cars um, on errands, dinner, whatever. And so I was like a 16, 17-year-old driving around all these like giant-ass Cadillacs and Lincoln Town cars, (laughs) Um, taking people to to Applebee's and uh, Mm -hmm. wherever else to their beauty shop. And um, I would usually get, you know, I get paid kind of a rate uh, an hourly rate, I'd charge them. Plus, they'd you know buy me pie uh-huh. at the diners they take me to. Um, but yeah, so I, I did that. Um, probably the first time I realized I could make more money myself than working for other people. I um, I was kind of like an amateur musician through high school and played in some bands with friends. And I started teaching guitar lessons in my my basement. And it got to a point where you know I had. 15, 20 students and, and realized that my hourly rate, I, you know, I could make more money working independently mm-hmm. um, than I could, you know, working in any job. And so, um, yeah, that probably was, I don't know, sophomore through senior year of high school, I was teaching guitar lessons to, to kids, mm-hmm. to adults. And so, yeah, yeah, it continued always, you know, and even, even continued well before I had any professional success as an entrepreneur. Anytime I had a job, I was always... I always had a had a hustle, um, mm-hmm. and because of all the access I had, those hustles were always legal. You know, which mm-hmm. is very, very different than the experience of you know my current kind of work life and and the folks I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, very similar entrepreneurial spirit, but um, but you know mo- mostly legal legal mm-hmm. hustles. <laughs> yeah, and so um, you know, it, it, I can tell you know you clearly start to get the bug, and you start to connect some dots that you know you can make more money working for yourself. Um, that's a great learning at a young age to have. Do you go away to college? To, like, what what's what what's your thinking? Yeah. You know, as far as like your future, do you do you see yourself like going to be an entrepreneur and? And what's the what's the college step for you? Yeah, so definitely, um, definitely, always saw myself, you know, aspiring to work independently, work for myself. Um, you know, worked worked uh, multiple jobs all the time, whether they're side projects or kind of more legit em- employment environments. But yeah, I don't think I ever thought I wouldn't go to college, you know, it just which is also just kind of a mark of the privilege and the the environment I was in and and so yeah, it was the the, the kind of the only step for me it, that I imagined for my life and and now of course know how much of a privilege that was. Um but uh I applied to one college and I got in and I went I went to Capital University here in Central Ohio and that so at that point I was in high school up in Northeast Ohio and so it 
was kind of a homecoming to me to be around my extended family who was still here in central Ohio. Um, uh, all my my grandparents that were living were down here, and I, I really wanted to be back and close with them. I had strong relationships through my childhood with them, and had spent a lot of my childhood moved away from them. And so it was really nice to come back down to school and be able to go to uh, the Chinese buffet on East Broad with my grandparents, <laughs> you know, or wherever they wanted to go. And so, yeah, it was a bit of a homecoming, but um, I went to Capitol and, um, you know, started kind of my collegiate career floundering around figuring out. I, I think I came in as an education student um, to become a teacher. I don't know where that came from. And then um, a, a poli-sci student thinking I would become a lawyer. And n- none of these are careers that were in my family or anything like that, but um, ended up starting to feel really comfortable in kind of the business classroom. Uh, and and that's, that's ultimately where I, I, I ended up getting a degree in business and a degree in communication mm-hmm. during my time there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so... Uh, then what? Tell me. I'm curious as you start to kind of get into your career. I'm curious about two things. You know, what what do you do out of school? And 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 kind of coming back a little bit to you know the the habits, the identity, you know the the stuff we were talking about earlier. Tell me a little bit about kind of where you are with all of that as you're now starting to kind of like jump out into a professional career. Yeah. So. The other thread we didn't really talk about in adolescence was just I, I had a lot of community service in my life through through mm-hmm. you know a faith based community uh, at that point as well as just in my family you know my my grandfather down here ran a um, uh, ran a food p- pantry out of the Catholic Church that he was part of and and so I just have all these memories of just being engaged in service and in kind of a sense of responsibility of like, you know, our family has earned a lot. We've had a lot of opportunity and, and we're going to give back as, as much as we can. It's just something from a young time. So so when I get into college and I ultimately find my way to a business classroom, I feel a lot of... Um, I, I'm interested in entrepreneurship. I'm interested in doing business, but um, also still have this kind of nagging thread of, of just feeling like, you know, part of my identity is... is um, trying to improve our community and the equity mm. in our community. And, and so I had a great mentor. It, it was my sophomore year of, of college. The dean of the business school at Capitol was a, a woman named Lisa Dolan. Who's kind of an un, unconventional I know uh, dean. Yeah, yeah she's, she's pretty tremendous. And as I built a relationship with her, she, she kind of led me down this path of acknowledging there's a field of study called social entrepreneurship. It's mm. happening on the West and East Coast. Mm-hmm. And so I became kind of a student of that discipline of deciding I'm going to learn everything I can being successful in business and I'm going to learn everything I can about being successful in community engagement. And so I had this, this blend of internships, um, you know, working at a nonprofit or a social entity, footing numbers in their accounting department. And so um, I, I, you know, I, I really worked my ass off during college in terms of exposure and experience and relationship building, and you know, started to make a name myself for myself. I think even through those through that same pattern of habit forming of, you know, I'm just always I was willing to stick my neck out there. You know, I was willing to commit to things that I was absolutely unprepared to do. Um, you know, kind of some kind of level of 
arrogance or humility, however you looked at it, that I would be always willing to take on a, the next big project. And so that, that positioned me really well. I had a lot of professional relationships by the time that I went to graduate. Um, I actually graduated um, a semester early. And um, as I started to reach out to people to say I'm entering the workforce, I had a lot of people willing to to make introductions for me. And and um, yeah, so my my first job um, was as an investment bank analyst at a firm that at that point was called Lancaster Pollard um, in in Columbus. I um, did some interviewing in New York for consulting firms and investment banks. And ultimately got this opportunity here. And um, yeah, it lasted about 20 months, um, mm-hmm. you know, working, wearing a suit, working mm-hmm. 70, 70 hours a week, uh, running deals. Um, what, was, what was interesting about that particular opportunity, I still have some, some great friends from there, was it was, it was so, um, it was such a boutique firm that they gave young analysts a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so um, just from like a financial acumen and competency, I started learning some lessons in business that mm. were just probably above my pay grade, but I, I was eager for it. And and I, you know, I I I was I had made such of a name for myself as being kind of a unique individual that I definitely didn't fit in the that corporate environment. I've never really fit mm-hmm. in a corporate environment, but mm-hmm. you know, I would I would take the bus from you know, my house and I would, you know, in my suit would be skateboarding to the office mm-hmm. uh, and was just like doing anything I could to not conform for better or for worse. And I, I think a lot of that was probably driven by ego, some by individuality. But yeah, and, and, and the reality is all those things, all those habits, um, because of the way we, because of the way we kind of like even at that point, which is, you know, social media is just taking off at that point, but you could really easily romance uniqueness, mm. you know? Mm. And, and, and so I think I just started finding this habit of like, I'm going to do as many things as I can to, to be different and unique. Mm-hmm. And That's get interesting. Attention. So yeah, because, you know, you say it's part, you know, in, you know, kind of uh, a desire to be, I don't know, unique, but in part it's being unique to be unique, right? So it's yeah. some of, right? And, and, and I don't know, you know, I think I had a similar experience. You know, I worked in banking and uh, felt, you know, very much not energetically aligned with, you know, the environment I was in and have always um, kind of identified with being, you know, more unique or kind of outside the traditional norms. And I, I think, you know, I think, that for me, it just feels like more me, but I can see how it can also be something that is really driven by a egoic desire to stand out, you know? And so kind of how you differentiate between the two is an interesting thing, right? Because you are unique, you know, I think, I mean, I think we all are, but I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think I, um, you know, for the moment I'm at now, uh, I'm I'm with you. I kind of believe we're all we all have this really unique thumbprint uh, that we can leave on the world, um, and that's not out of uh, that's not out of like arrogance, but really just out of the spirit of we all bring something different to offer. You know, to make to make this universe function the way it does, and 
And so I, I, I definitely believe that about myself. And I, I try to find that spirit in others. And I think that's where I connect most authentically with folks now. But yeah, it's, I, you know, I think, I think being cool is, you know, being cool is a pursuit. You know, it was a pursuit for me. And, and whether that was earned through unique hobbies or, you know, the ability to speak well in public and, you know, make people laugh, you know, whatever that was, I, I think you, I, I just ran a balance of like leaning on those competencies in sometimes a manipulative way to build relationships and friends. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it was like somebody I was romantically interested in, you know, that I would, would kind of would conform to, you know, what's the identity that this person's going to be most attracted to, you know, mm-hmm. or, and it was, yeah, it became kind of a, a slippery slope. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and I, I want to I hear about Hot Chicken and the formation and the journey of all of that. But I, yeah. I guess I just am going to pull on this one a little bit more because I think this is really very important and good. I think you're really good at all of those things. It's just kind of like my external perception of you and, and you know, maybe uh, I'm projecting, I don't know, because I can really relate to what you're saying. I, I think, you know, we're very similar in this way where for me, it came, you know, from a different angle, but I ended up developing some skills um, that um, came from wanting to look good right? And to be liked or to be cool or whatever it is, right? And so I got good at that, you know, being able to talk like, you know, you you shared um, in public or, you know, when I was young, it was with my parents or friends or or my my friend's parents, right? And and you become kind of, uh, it becomes kind of a a skill, right? To look good, right? To do the things that people are going to go, hey, uh, look at Joe, you know, look at Brett, what great guys, look how amazing, whatever, right? And, and you know, and I, I'm not like trying to sound like a, like a jerk, but, you know, like that's been my experience, you know, and people still say it and, and it's very kind and, and it's nice to know that, you know, maybe you're doing some things that really uh, mean something to people, but kind of like unpacking how much of that is really about, you truly and and an expression of you that's being manifested in the world and doing good things for other people um, and for yourself, your family, whatever, right? And and how much of that is driven by that desire, that maybe childhood wound of wanting to be liked or be cool. You know, that that that's a very tricky thing. You know, because it's not all bad, right? I mean, you know, some of the skills that you developed while trying to look a certain way are good things to have. You know, it's not so bad to be able to, you know, speak in public or, you know, I don't know, drive some success. But, you know, tell me a little bit more about what you think for yourself that experience has been. Yeah. I mean, it becomes muscle memory that, Mm -hmm. you know, forming that. This, these competencies that lead to appreciation, acknowledgement, and you know, being being the kid who uh, your friends' parents would say, like, "Oh, you should be more like Joe." Or, Joe does this, or you know, like I, I got so much, I got so much affirmation, and even in my own household, my family really celebrated me. 
all the time and deeply appreciative for that. I mean, that's that's the best environment I I, I you know would choose, but it also at times was you know I, I didn't really feel like I could do much wrong, and mm-hmm. and so y- you end up thriving off so much acknowledgement, so much affirmation that it just becomes habit to to live into that. And and so for me, I did. I I formed a lot of competency and you know, kind of superpowers around around getting that response and garnering that kind of affection and appreciation. Whether it was how I presented for a group project in school, or you know how I led a meeting, or how I talked to a client on the phone, you know, in the mm-hmm. bank and. It, you know, you, it just becomes a little gray of like, are you using your powers for good? And like, so sure, like I can advance the work of a business or advance the work of myself or earn more money or, you know, whatever it is. But I think it really comes down to the intention of that work. And I think for me, that intention became less about the the outcome of what I was doing and more about just the the feeling of affirmation and appreciation to me, you know, very mm-hmm. selfishly. And mm-hmm. it, it's not that I, I wasn't doing good things or, or, or accomplishing good things on behalf of my employer or myself or my team members. But I started to just, you know, thrive, you know, get that dopamine hit off of, off of like the, the good job buddies and the great job and the news article. Or, mm-hmm. And yeah, so you, you were, you know, you think about the circumstance, you were already out in front. Because you you chose a path that um, around leadership or entrepreneurship, you know whatever it was, so you're already out from the crowd and and had this identity as unique person. But then you you find yourself just thriving off of that feedback loop that they give you versus anything internalized around what how you might identify and feel about yourself. And and so I, I really just lost touch with my own connection to myself and was just filling my cup externally, uh, which spiritually is just a you know a recipe for disaster. And mm-hmm. and unfortunately, all those external forces will keep celebrating you. You know, you mm-hmm. you actually like win awards and shit. You mm-hmm. know, for continuing down that path. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. You know, because it gets kind of layered, you know, when you start to think about kind of a societal, you know, kind of unconscious celebration of things that, you know, aren't really maybe what they appear to be and how that whole thing can kind of run and does and and how damaging it can be at the same time um, or maybe just like off track. And so I'm curious about two things. I want to know when does hot chicken come in and how. Um, but I'm also really curious about how you arrived at this awareness of how your way of being had, you know, been become and and you know what you did to shift, you know, in the ways that you have. So I'm gonna leave it up to you. Which one do you want to pull on first? We're gonna try to cover both. Well um let me tell kind of the just the entrepreneurial journey um, as context for for as a timeline for when when everything implodes and I gain awareness. Um, okay, and so um, you know from the hot chicken story. So I, I have this investment bank job. Um, it's clearly not a fit for me. 
and increasingly I'm not a fit you know for them and and have an opportunity I get a phone call from a family friend who is running Lutheran Social Services of Central Ohio this this huge social service agency that's from food pantries to homeless shelters to retirement homes and they say you know I know you're interested in social entrepreneurship we we're talking about trying to build some businesses that can employ residents of our homeless shelters and and so are you interested i say yeah absolutely it's like right down my alley and so i kind of i kind of bullshit my way into a director job at this organization uh with really no organizational you know i had some natural leadership ability and natural you know management competency but I, i've never professionally executed on those things you know for the most part and they put me into this role um, within this very conservative, long, you know, long established organization. And I, I, I just start kind of making waves. I am building businesses. I, I built a company called um, Fresh Box Catering that just actually recently closed. And, and I'm starting to build enterprises that can do exactly what they set out to do. Uh, but I'm also starting to feel a, a ton of friction. I'm here. I am this hungry entrepreneur, super, super kind of anti-corporate, anti-establishment uh, in a lot of ways. And I just start creating friction within the organization because I want to run the business a certain way and want to grow the business and grow our impact. But I want to do it as an entrepreneur, not as a director of social enterprise for somebody else. And and so. Mm. Um, I end up leaving that job. I go out on my own and 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 start failing like time and time again at building another successful enterprise. And so that goes on. I have I have two or three attempts at new concepts. I end up um, kind of convincing people that I'm a consultant for a social enterprise and, and nonprofit innovation and start locking down jobs. Uh, with social service agencies and others that are interested in this work uh, and do some good through that process. But yeah, so I, I, I do that for years. All, all the while, I end up taking a consulting gig for an affordable housing provider um, where I really am in-house for them, building another enterprise and just see the whole pattern happening again and um, uh, decide I have to go out on my own. And, and that's literally uh, my... Wife Lisa and I were expecting our first kid. I, I was pretty miserable in, in my work environment. Um, and we took a trip to Nashville and, and try this food, um, hot chicken. And on the way driving home, I just think, oh, like there's nothing like this in Columbus. Maybe this is the idea. And I buy a fryer, I Google how to fry chicken, and uh, we kind of go down this path, you know, uh, which is a story that's, you know, we've, we've told that story a lot about how the business grows, but. Uh, super scrappy, and and I, I I'm kind of like working full time, moonlighting as an entrepreneur. Um, at some point, I I quit working full time. I go all in on hot chicken. My wife Lisa is is really at home, like raising our new infant at that point, and working for healthcare for us. And uh, we just kind of cobble together this story, um, which is now seven years old and. Our business is growing and it's had a whole set of adversity in its own, but that, that's probably a less interesting story than my my spiritual implosion and explosion and and how I bring awareness to this stuff and, and break break some terrible habits. Yeah. Let, let's get into that as we start to kind of move 
to wrap up, but because that seems you know really important for people to hear, and I appreciate your you know transparency and and sharing this part of your journey. You know, I think it's just um, reflective of the subject. You know, you you know kind of fast forwarded through the hot chicken story, which is great because you're right that story's told and probably can be heard elsewhere. And what I really want to do is kind of share the Joe that maybe, you know, not everybody gets to hear all the time. I will just say, you know, uh, it's a great story, the hot chicken story. Um, And, you know, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, you say it's seven years old, you know, it, it feels like you pretty quickly, and maybe this is a good segue into the, the spiritual piece. My my recollection is you pretty quickly became a very hot commodity in this town, that there's a, a real sex appeal to, uh, you know, hot chicken by itself. Um, right, N- not in this town. It's a real, you know, became real hot in Nashville and trendy, and you know, popular and sexy. And then, you know, you bring the social aspect to it, and you know, you're a young, you know, good-looking entrepreneur in this town, and the town's hungry for, um, you know, that kind of a story, and and so you become, you know, the uh, one of, you know, uh, a, a, a real popular kind of story in this city. And mm-hmm. um, the accolades come, the awards come, the PR comes. And, you know, I could see pretty quickly how, you know, all of those childhood things start to, you know, become uh, pretty magnified, you know, as as an adult now. So I don't know, maybe maybe you can just, you know, speak a little to that as you kind of start to segue into what happens spiritually. Yeah, I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head and, and clearly, you know, know me well. Um, but yeah, so it was, I, I mean, I, I had earned some press and attention pre-Hot Chicken for other projects. And, and so I think, I think there was a little bit of, you know, I, people, people knew I could... Um, create good press. They knew I could speak well about our business and all those things. And so it really catapulted quickly um, when Hot Chicken started taking off. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was a story of a scrappy entrepreneur that's easy to romance and somebody that's working hard, that's, um, you know, taking risk, um, that's building something from, you know, the, the story headline is kind of like building something from nothing into something. And and there's validity to that, but also like, you know, think about this arc I shared about all the, the resources and the access and and the competencies I built. You know, for me it was just this was you know, at that point kind of the pinnacle of all the experience that I've had and all the access and resources I had. And so leveraged a lot of that privilege and that those resources to to start building something. And um, we did get a we we got a ton of attention. You know, we had people um, not just locally, but you know, nationally. It was a compelling story, and and we were just ahead of the hot chicken trend. We were just ahead of this broader discussion around social entrepreneurship, equity, everything, and, and so we just became a a darling. You know, or I became a darling to tell that story, and I didn't say no to 
anything, Brett. I took every last bit of it. And, and so it, it was, you know, people even locally knew that they could throw me on the news and it would be a, a, a good story. So yeah, I, I definitely took advantage of that. It definitely boosted our business in a phenomenal way too. And it, it positioned us to get investment dollars. We had acquisition offers. You know, we had all of these things really quickly. Um, and, and so from a personal perspective alongside that journey, I am a few years into marriage. I'm uh, uh, you know, very recently into fatherhood. And all I knew how to do was get, a, get kind of my identity and my fulfillment out of external resources. And so whether it's press or attention, um, you know, I wasn't showing up present. I wasn't present at home. I didn't, I didn't know what that meant either, you know? Um, but I, you know, I have, I, I, most folks in my life from the business and in my personal life became kind of cogs in my wheel, like in the Joe show of, um, how I was going to feel fulfilled and happy. And, you know, you don't realize those things until it all starts imploding. And, and at some point, I don't have any more resources to give. I am creating separation and resistance between my family, between people that work for me, because I, I can't keep the wheels on anymore. And I can't hold up the persona anymore. And, and so, you know, particularly those people closest to me that have seen me at my worst, those were also all the people trying to hold me accountable. And, and so perfect, perfect recipe for disaster where the people closest to you that love you the most, that, that probably know you truer than you know yourself in ways are trying to create accountability, care for you, hold you, you know, hold you accountable. Well, um, I could just externally go get any amount of attention and appreciation that I wanted because it was just all at my fingertips. And so I started spending too much energy getting that external validation and, and, it all implodes, you know. It, it's not an unfamiliar story, but it's an entrepreneur that thinks too much of himself, and um, I start being deceitful to my family, deceitful to my wife, deceitful to you know my employees in pursuit of something I don't know, and um, the wheels just fall off, you know. I'm I'm in in jeopardy of just ruining my relationship with my wife Lisa. I'm I'm realizing how unpresent I've been for my my. At that point, two kids, my two daughters, and that I don't have the relationship with them that I want. I don't have a relationship with Lisa that I want. And when you start kind of peeling all those things away, you realize the most you're the you're the broken piece in all of it. And um, so that you know, I came to those you know revelations because they were forced on me, and I felt you know miserable and uncomfortable and was in jeopardy of you know at, at times felt like I was in jeopardy of losing the company because you know we weren't maturing fast enough or growing um, in a sophisticated enough way definitely was in jeopardy of losing my family um, or the the desired bond I had with them um, and so you know I we sought help you know it was counseling it was couples counseling it was um, personal counseling you know I I got um, to work for you know a half dozen sessions with a a, um, a great clinician Norman Chubb in town who his his had made a name for himself with just working with pain in the ass entrepreneurs and and I was I you know had, got to have him yell at me um, 
for about a half dozen sessions uh, before his untimely passing and have kind of surrounded myself both with, with clinical work and, and then additionally started really unpack this spiritually. And during that journey and kind of the peak of it, the worst of it, had an opportunity to work um, with a really great spiritual coach locally, Juan Alvarez, who's really taught me about meditation, who taught me about presence and acceptance. And I started having this kind of deep evolution around accepting myself um, and loving myself in a way that I just really hadn't ever. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, that, so that would have been, that hot chicken would have, we had three restaurants at that point. We had just opened our third restaurant. We opened two restaurants in six months, number two and number three. And it was a, it was a shit show. I mean, it was a disaster. It was, we, we just didn't know what we were doing. We were under, under-resourced. And, and so it all kind of came crashing down at once. And I slowly had an opportunity to rebuild and had a lot of loved ones that, that gave me the space and grace to do it. And, and, and started giving me affirmation for really, really authentic, positive things, you know? Um, and I started affirming myself and, and, and dialing into that truth. And so it, it's evolved, you know, my, my spiritual practice and my, my journey keeps evolving and it'll continue. But I'm in a, in a space now where I have kind of a, a care routine for myself and for others that really allows me to be more present. Um, and and to not be an egomaniac or a narcissist, uh, and so it's like all those things kind of sit on my shoulders, and I, I have a lot of fear. I have a lot of fear about falling in the same pattern, and so you know, I was, I was an addict mm-hmm. to all those things, and and it's it's daily work and a mm-hmm. daily practice to not fall back in yeah. the same routine. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think you know what's kind of. Uh, you know, I have a worldview that everything is kind of happening in a grand architecture that we don't always understand, and that, um, and that's a very spiritual view for me. Uh, and um, yeah. you know, that's what I call God. And and you know, when I hear you know your journey, and I hear the kind of rise to a very visible, prominent you know, success story in this community um, with, the, with the platform that you have, the audience that you have, you know, people know you, they care about you, they like you, they, you know, listen to you, right? Even if it was the old you, you know, that, that all got built. And now you get to tell the story you just told. And a lot of people get to hear it because that first part happened. Right. And so yeah. sometimes I just wonder, like, you know, that it just feels all a part of a design that doesn't seem to make sense all the time. And, 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 you know, sometimes when we're in it, but in hindsight, like I'm just sitting here listening to this story thinking, this is what people need to hear. And they couldn't hear it if you hadn't had the other thing. Right. And yeah, of course. So, um, you know, just like, thank you for sharing that. And I relate to your journey and I, and it's the purpose for this podcast is because you and I are not alone. <laughs> you know, we've both struggled with similar things and, um, it's really hard work, 
I also had the pleasure or pain of having Norman scream at me <laughs> for a lot longer than six sessions and uh, you know, have continued with some of his disciples and and you know, continue to do this work um, because it is uh, a life's work. And you're right, you know, the kind of unconscious ego can slip back into the driver's seat if you're not paying attention. And yet, you know, my experience, and I kind of felt this in hearing you, uh, is that the freedom and the kind of feels, the embodied experience of being authentic and, um, you know, loving in the way that you get to be now with your wife and your, and your kids and your team and, and whoever else you give yourself to, that feeling of showing up, including yourself, right? That feeling of showing up as you um, and not, you know, chasing that other, you know, mirage. Once you can kind of taste that enough, you realize how much better it is. And, and, you know, that's how, you know, you change is by getting a real taste that, you know, there's a freedom in just being that's so much better than, you know, whatever high you got from whatever accolade you were given, you know? Anyway, I, I see that in you. I heard that in your story. And any uh, kind of final comments as we start to wrap up, but mostly I just have a lot of gratitude for who you are, this version, all of it, really. <laughs> you know, the whole story, yeah. all of it. But I, I love your journey, man. I really give you a lot of credit, you know, for, for that, for just being human and real and on the journey like everybody else, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm appreciative to tell this story. And it's, you know, for all these podcasts I do, this isn't the story that gets told, you know, and so your platform is needed. And I, you know, I, I believe too, there's a design, you know, that has, that's divine. And, and that if all we do is show up for that divinity in ourselves and for others, you know, it'll keep playing out with, without a ton of resistance. And um, it is liberating. You know, and I, you know, I often am having this conversation with other entrepreneurs like you, um, and and I think I think it's just important that we acknowledge that this this path to that sense of liberation, you know, isn't and shouldn't be a privilege of having resources, having wealth, you know, having being self-employed, and and just increasingly we, you know, as a community, as a community of entrepreneurs and a community of other divine beings just need to need to think about how do we create this space and hold this space for others to have. And, you know, I, I think you're 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 clearly trying to live that and and do that with gravity and and with with your projects. We're trying to do that in our own business. Um, and we need more people that that come to this conclusion because I, I I think it runs the risk of just being another elite privilege of owning a business or being self-employed or um, having having resources and and so I'm grateful this conversation's happening and I want to keep being a proponent for people to find this space and truth in themselves and acceptance because it is liberating and it makes makes your experience in life so much more beautiful and and it allows your cup to to run over to others and yeah I'm I'm grateful to share the story thanks for having me Brett 
awesome. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for your uh, friendship. Keep up the good work. Thanks for taking some time to do this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman on Twitter at bkaufman125 and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for The Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.